Welcome, everyone, to the pilot edition, or episode, right? Episode? The pilot episode of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. You might remember me from the short-lived podcast, The Man Born with the Five O'Clock Shadow, or the almost 10-year terrestrial radio show that was did have a podcast component. I did podcast the show, not every day, but most of the time, uh, The Tyler Crawley Show in Wilmington, North Carolina. You may have heard me from either one of those. And if not, well, this will be your first time hearing me, and you can judge for yourself and maybe understand why I'm no longer in those industries. But I was a talk radio guy, and so this is my latest endeavor. And for those that don't know, it's not only a podcast, there's also a newsletter component. And while the website is not up yet, because I need to actually create content for it, it's it's content-based So I need to actually have the podcast and some newsletters that I can actually put on the website or else the website doesn't make any sense. So the website will be up in about three or four days. You'll be able to go there and sign up for either the newsletter or the podcast. So what is the point of this podcast? You got to figure that out, right? A mission statement. You're starting a business. You're starting anything. Got to have a mission statement. Here is what I'm trying to do. I want to talk about the stories that are impacting real estate, the mortgage industry, and the economy as a whole. That's it. And I'm also hoping to do it between 10 and 20 minutes every single weekday morning. So it's not long. It's not going to be an hour podcast. It's not even going to be a half an hour podcast. I guess maybe something crazy happens. And there's not going to be conversations. I'm not going to you know, have people on the show. There may be an interview show that I add as a component to this. But this, I want to be you know, 10, 15 minutes talking about the big stories that are happening and impacting the entire real estate sector, which would include obviously, you know, real estate, the mortgage industry, and of course, what's happening in the economy impacts real estate directly and in a lot of cases indirectly. So that's my goal. That's what I want to do. And like I said, I want to keep it short and brief. And so because of that, let's get to the big story. And I thought the big story was going to be for this inaugural podcast. I thought the big story was going to be the jobs report that came out on Friday, the disappointing jobs report. I was expecting that that was where we were going to start. But instead, I saw this story. This, I guess, broke Sunday morning uh, over at the Wall Street Journal. There was a piece by Orla McCaffrey that says that the mortgage boom is coming to an end. Now, someone who has recently found themselves on purpose, (laughs) not by accident, (laughs) I do work in the mortgage industry. You think that I'd be freaking out about this. But I'm not. I'm not. I mean, there's there's no doubt that this is what is happening right now in the industry. So McAfee reports that homes are selling, as we all know, anyone in the industry will tell you, at a blistering pace. But lenders are actually preparing for mortgage demand to cool in the coming months. So why is that? Well, I mean, there's one big factor, and that is there's just no houses for sale. So you're going to see fewer mortgages because there are just fewer houses to sell. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, So you're just going to see that drop off, but also because interest rates have been moving up from the lows of everyone that's noticed that. Now, I will say last week it was reported, you know, Freddie Mac's uh, weekly mortgage average, kind of like the gold standard. We'll talk about it a lot here on this podcast, still has the average mortgage rate under 3%, which historically is just nuts of a number. But of course, people for a while have been seeing, you know, two and a half or maybe under. And so now they're like 3%. Oh, I'm not going to refinance with 3%. So I get that some people are like, nah, never mind. I'm not going to refinance my home. And it's likely that we're going to see rates. I mean, we saw Janet Yellen last week, the Treasury Secretary, who I think forgot 
that she wasn't the Federal Reserve Chairman anymore, was like, oh, yeah, we're probably going to have to raise rates. Well, that's not your decision. Thanks for causing some chaos in the market. She, of course, walked back those statements. But a lot of people are thinking that because of what's happening, if we do see the economy take off, it does start to overheat. One of the ways to deal with that is to raise interest rates. People think it's going to be happening. So more than likely, we are going to see rates go up this year. No one, I don't think anyone's predicting they're going to go down. So what's going to happen? You're going to see fewer, fewer refis. And that means you're going to see fewer loan originations. But there's another reason why we're going to see fewer more uh, loan originations. It's because there's really nowhere else to go but down. I mean, last year there was a record, a record amount of loans originated. 3.83 trillion. Now that number is almost double what it was in 2019. So you just can't, I mean, so when you have a record year like that, when you double the previous year, you're just, it's just not going to continue to go up in perpetuity. At some point, you're going to see kind of a a leveling off. But here's what's so funny. They're still projecting that we're going to see $3.3 trillion in loans done in 2021. So that number is still a trillion. That's almost 33% higher than where we were in 2019. So you know, it's funny because the headline got all this attention, you know, the end of the mortgage boom. It's coming to an end. Oh, no, the mortgage industry. But I mean, the number, it's its still going to be one of the highest years on record with regards to the final amount of loans that are being originated. $3.3 trillion. Not exactly the end of the mortgage industry, not even close. And it also depends on who you work for. They talked about how wholesalers, brokers are going to be... Um, are going to they're going to face a bigger impact because the money they're making on each loan is shrinking. Their margin is shrinking versus say uh companies that can, you know, originate their own loans, you're not going to see as big of a decline. So there's a lot of other factors that go into all of this. Uh but the good news is is if you're a borrower because everyone's fighting for these customers because there is going to be a decline, they they probably will be able to offer you better rates and they're going to take the hit on that and see lower margins because of it. So it's a great time if you're a, if you're wanting to borrow money. <laughs> we'll say that much and we're still going to see 3.3 trillion dollars in loans. That's the projection. You know, you never know what's going to happen. I guarantee you at this time in 2020 they were not projecting that we were going to see 3.83 trillion in 2020. So we'll see what happens, but they're still looking at one of the best years on record. So it's 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 not the end of the world despite the oh no. The 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 mortgage boom is coming to an end. That's fine. It's still it's still a boom in comparison to pretty much every single year. Now, I do want to get to this jobs report because I so the jobs report drops on the first Friday of every month and it looks at, you know, the jobs that were created the month prior and everyone was expecting just a gangbusters report we'd already seen some reports earlier that week from adp the uh, jobless claims they all were showing that hey this report's going to be great it's going to be good i mean the the average projection was a million jobs created i mean some people were projecting two two million jobs created and so the report comes out and wow I don't think I've ever seen. In fact, I was trying to see if I could find any data on has has there ever been that big of a divide between what people thought was going to happen and what actually happened in any direction. I don't know if it was too optimistic or too pessimistic, but I mean, they missed. I mean, it was a quarter 
of what they were projecting. And I've heard, I think I saw Zero Hedge may have sent this out. I think they said that it was the second, the worst with regards to being that big of a spread between what actually happened and what was being projected. So as I mentioned, 266,000 jobs. Now that's, you know, that's 266,000 jobs. That's great. But we're expecting a million. The unemployment rate actually went up for the first time since March 2020. So it's been a while since we've seen the uh, unemployment rate tick upwards, but it did 6.1%. And like I said, it was just, it was way off. So what happened? What's going on? A lot of debate on what this is. The number one reason that most, I guess, how how would I word this? Conservative economists, uh, people who tend to lean right on the political spectrum, they said, you know who's to blame? Unemployment benefits. Now, I will say, I also saw people who I would consider liberal economists. Even they were like, we may need to look at unemployment benefits. So what's the argument? Well, the argument is, is that people are making so much money on unemployment benefits thanks to the emergency benefits that the president, uh, Joe Biden, has extended. Of course, Congress you know, passed a bill. Joe Biden signed it. This is something that he asked for. It extends these benefits. So people are making so much money. Why would they go back to work? And so it's artificially shrinking the labor supply. And I will point out, I think it was Jason Furman who mentioned on Twitter that even if you're arguing that people are afraid to go back to work because they're still worried about the coronavirus and they don't have to because they can get unemployment benefits, even though the cause is a little different. So it's not like, oh, I'm lazy. I just want to sit at home and not work. It's I'm afraid to go back to work. So I don't have to thanks to these unemployment benefits. It's still the unemployment benefits that are allowing that person to do that. So it's, it's still artificially shrinking the labor supply. Now, Joe Biden, President Biden, tried to say that it wasn't. He came out in a press conference on Friday and said, no, 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 that's not what's causing it. There are other things that are causing it. But I would say that pretty much 80% of the economists that I follow on Twitter and you know read their articles a few hours after the report came out, they pretty much all said that there's no doubt that unemployment benefits are playing a role in this. Now, as I mentioned, safety is another component. And you can kind of tie that in with wages. And a lot of people have said, well, they just raise the wages. This is the first time that people can make more money in unemployment. And so that that means these workers are going to have to start offering higher pay for these jobs. And, well, there's obviously a problem with that, as most economists would tell you, is that if a job is only outputting $7 an hour, you can't pay that person working at 15 because you're actually losing money every hour that person works. And so maybe... What these businesses need to realize is that there is a new economy and find a way to consolidate jobs and pay a worker $15, but make sure that that job is outputting $15. So their traditional job that was only outputting seven, they got to find a way to double that productivity to justify that wage. And so that may lead to higher wages through some way, you know, like I said, some consolidating of, of jobs instead of, you know, two jobs paying $7 an hour. You get one person to do, I guess, twice as much work is the way to look at it. And you can justify that uh, pay increase. So the fact that you know wages may need to rise and aren't meeting what people can get in unemployment, kind of going back to that first point, is playing a role. And then one of the other major components, and this kind of shocked a lot of people, school closures. We all know, I know this people are going to say this is sexist and Tyler, how dare you say this, but the data is still out there on this. And when a parent has to stay home with the children, it's more likely to be the mother. 
Okay, I'm not. I'm not saying that it should be the mother. I'm saying it's more likely to be the mother. That's the reality of the situation. And this last jobs report. So we created 266,000 jobs. Women, 8,000 lost. So that was all men. That 266,000 was all men. Women actually lost 8,000 jobs. And so until schools are open, until camps are open, and you have to have one parent at home, and we know that that's more than likely to be the mother, you're going to have, and even if it's not, I mean, it still stands. It's just that in this report, it showed that not only did we not see any uh, job gains among women, it actually declined. So until these parents can go back to the workforce, there's going to have to be someone at home. And so you're, that's going to stifle and once again, artificially lower the labor supply. And so they're kind of all right about this. I mean, we are probably going to see wages go up and jobs are going to have to figure out how they can pay someone and make it worthwhile. Schools are going to have to reopen and unemployment benefits for a lot of people are probably going to have to go away in order to incentivize. And we're already seeing this states like in North Carolina, where I'm broadcasting out of, um, they've already announced they're going to crack down and make it harder. And you have to show that you are out there looking for a job instead of before you didn't, they, they got rid of that component. Uh, other states are finding kind of creative ways. They're taking that federal money and saying, instead of giving it to people who aren't working, they're going to make it a bonus. And so if you go and find a job, they're going to give you, you know, $1,500, $2,000, and then you can, that, and if you work that job for three weeks or three months or whatever it is, you then get that extra money to encourage people to go back to work. And so we're going to see a lot of discussion about this as we move forward. But uh, more than likely, we're going to see a lot of discussion about the unemployment benefits because those are supposed to, those aren't supposed to end, I think, until September. And if that's the number one cause of all of this, that's probably going to have to go away earlier than that or be you know, changed in some way, like some states are to encourage people to go back to work. Uh, now I did want to hit on this before we run out of time. Cause like I said, I want to keep these podcasts somewhat short. I don't want to get too long winded and anyone that's listened to me either on the radio or prior podcasts knows that I can, I can get very long winded, uh, going back to what we were mentioning. I would mentioned the, uh, short or, or uh, low inventory that's out there. Um, a new report from Fannie Mae's monthly home purchase sentiment index. This came out on Friday. It is the worst time to be a home buyer. Now, this index has only been out since 2011. So we're not talking it's the worst time ever to be a home buyer. I don't think that's true. But in the last 10 years, it is, in fact, the worst time to be a home buyer. In fact, the good time to buy index went negative for the first time ever. 47% of people said it was a good time to buy. 48% said it is a bad time, leading to negative one. Now, not surprisingly, this index also found that it was a good time to sell. Well, that number actually jumped up to 41%, which means that the spread between good time to buy, good time to sell uh, is pretty wide. It's In fact, um, it's the biggest spread that we've seen between the two with regards to it being negative. We have seen where it's been a really good time to buy and maybe not such a great time to sell. In fact, when the index first came out in 2011, I think it was like plus 123 because it was such a good time to buy because there were so many houses out there and they were selling for, you know, really what anyone could get them could sell them for. 
Uh, now we're not exactly a complete reversal of that, but it is negative. So it's now a better time to sell than it is a time to be buying, which is not all that surprising. But here's what is surprising is that this actually isn't the highest it's ever been for being a good time to sell. That was actually June 2018, according to the, uh, once again, Fannie Mae Monthly Home Purchase Sentiment Index. So I thought that was kind of surprising. I would have thought, I mean, just based on realtors I've talked to and other people, that now is like the best time. I mean, people are buying houses without doing inspections, without doing any of the due diligence you normally do, uh, which is horrible for home buyers because that's not a good thing to be doing. So I would think that, man, it's the best time to sell ever, but it's not. Um, so we'll see next month. But as of right now, it still has six points to go. June 2018 was the highest point that we had ever seen. So not the best time. I was actually kind of surprised by that. All right, that's it. We are officially done. What was that? 15, 16, 17 minutes, somewhere around there when I actually cut it all up. We'll see where, where we end up. But this was the Monday edition, the pilot episode edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I will be back here Tuesday morning. Hope you will be joining me as well. And I was trying to figure out how I would end each show what I would say, what kind of catchphrase I would use. And there's a great quote that I've always loved from the actor, Will Rogers, who was also, of course, famous for being in newspapers and magazines and radio. And I think he was a big time real estate investor. He had a great quote, which I thought I'll end every broadcast with this. He said famously, don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. <laughs>